Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are As we jump into the, <coughs> to the third code, we get to give. The subtopic right under it is give because you have and serve because you can. How many of you can say um, um, you have? I, I know we have. Whether Maybe some of you like, I have a lot. Some of you is like, I don't have that much. But all of us in here have. I know you have. Um, because we all drove here or we all caught a ride over here or we all got dressed to come here. You're part of the fortunate few in this world. I think you're part of the 2%. Um, of the richest people if you were able to put on clothes today and shoes and socks on today to come to church. Did you guys know that? That's wild. To think that the majority of planet Earth is struggling with poverty. So when I say how many of you say here you could have, I, I really hope that you see your blessings. I know you want more, but how many of you could say, man, I have, and God's blessed me with what I have. So praise God for that. And, and, and the reality is because I have in all aspects, I'm also called to give. Because if the Lord has given me, I need to give back in return. Amen? Amen? If he's blessed us, we must bless in return. I love those little sayings, you know, love people, love people. I hate the one that says hurt people, hurt people. But, but I like all the positive ones. And, and those who have, give what they have as well. And not only that, but if we're able to serve um, we serve, and we serve great, and we serve with excellence, and we do it for the glory of God. How many of y'all know that whether you work in a cubicle, whether you work in a classroom, whether you're working with your children at home because you're working as a mom, amen, you're in your ministry there at home, whatever you do in life as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a, as a wife, as a single, as a young adult, as a young adult man, young adult woman, whatever you are in life, and whatever capacity you, you're in. How many of you know that you're called to even serve right there where you're sitting, where you're standing, right? I've seen some, I've seen some McDonald's and Burger King drive through attendants that if you give them a chance, they'll preach the gospel through that mic set and through the window, man, if you just get the right one. Why? Because they'll look at Burger King and say, this is my ministry. As long as I'm here, I serve God in this window. Man, that is crazy. So how many of you say, God's called me to serve this is bigger than just our church new life. We want you to serve here. But don't think that your service stops or starts and just stops. It begins and ends here. No, no. It continues outside of these walls. Yes. I love to see Matthew, my buddy Matthew out there. I love you, Matt. And, and I really, God stirred my heart for this. But Matthew serves God in this church. Amen. Nothing stops Matthew from serving. And that blesses my heart more than he will ever know. When I see Matthew out there with a sign, I said, man, that's, that's it. I want to be, I, I want to be like that. And he's probably like, I want to be like this. <laughs> what he has no idea is that I want to be like that. I, I believe in today's word. There's so many ways that we can give, so many ways that we can serve and, and, and truly that are needed, that are needed just for the gospel to spread throughout our world and just here at our church at New Life. And, and I truly mean this I, and believe this with all of me, whatever that means to you, but with all of me, that it starts with our attitudes and it starts with allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. If 
you have your, your code book with all your notes and stuff like that, which I hope you're doing good. How, how many of you have your code books with you? Can you open up to last week's preaching? I would love to see your notes and just be blessed by it. Can you, can you just wave it at me? For you guys that did not take notes, just don't show it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Let me see yours, Ali. Good, good. Anyone else want to be brave enough to wave? Good, amen. <laughs> the phones. Praise God. All right, decent, so-so. It's good for me. So we get to give, and if you're taking notes, I, w- I would love for you to write this down. As we're speaking about, it deals with our attitudes and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. I, I-, I truly mean this. If he's not working in us, write this. If he's not working in us, it'll never work through us. If he is not working in us, it'll never work through us. What do you mean by that? Not genuinely, at least. You know what happens when you serve and it's not the Holy Spirit working in you and through you? You're serving forcefully. You guys know what I'm talking about? Am I talking to the right church today? Or should I have gone next door to another church? Okay. So, so when you start to serve the Lord and it's done not genuinely, it's not done because the Holy Spirit is working through you, then it's done by force. It's done because everyone else is doing it. It's done because that's what they told you to do. Hey, it's done because they made an announcement and they said, hey, give a tithe. And that means, I think, 10% according to the last church I was at. So I'll drop a 10%. And a lot of that stuff becomes very religious when it's not the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And it's just forceful because man is showing us that this is what our faith box looks like. The last thing I want you to know is that our faith does not belong in a box. The last thing. No, the first thing I want you to know is that our faith does not belong in a box. It does not belong in a box. It never has. It never will. The way you serve does not belong in a box. You, you reach outside that. And the Holy Spirit needs to work that in us, for us, through us, so that we could genuinely give and genuinely serve. The truth is, as we introduce this third code, as a church, we would love to see everyone. Say everyone. Okay. We would love to see everyone doing something. Say something. Everyone doing something. That's really my aim, my goal, my, my desire for this church, that everyone does something. Watch this. Not that everyone does everything, Amen. but that everyone does something. The majority of the churches is someone's are doing everything. And, and, and that hurts a church, and that burdens a church, and that aches in a church, and, and, and that's breathtaking in a church like we need to catch breath and we need to refill and and the beauty behind a ministry and the body of Christ is if everyone can just do something man that'll be a blessing think about what would happen if say everyone Everyone. we're doing think about what would happen if everyone were doing something let me explain to you what would happen ready if this were so you know what would happen needs like never before all needs would be met in a church If everyone were doing something, needs would be met. I mean, we'd be a church that is filling voids, aiding the broken, loving the hurt. If everyone does something, we'd be filling every gap that needs to be filled. How many of you agree with me? But everyone, just do something. And and we would recognize that as we start doing something, as the Holy Spirit works in us for his glory, and we start to do this, we would recognize, and listen to what I'm going to say next, and we would be humbled in the fact that we get to give and not have to give. 
The, the, the idea that I could stand up here and text some of you and just do life with some of you and be able to preach to you guys on a weekly basis, sometimes twice a week because we have midweek this Wednesday at 7.30, shameful plug there, but, but whatever it is, whatever it is, it's an honor that I get to do this, not, oh, it's Sunday morning, I have to go and do this. And that's our mindset when we wake up not just on Sundays but when you're a teacher and you go into a classroom I get to do this for the glory of God and whether you're accountant and working in a bank and counting money I get to do this for the glory of God there is a co-worker and there is a, a customer who will come to me as a teller and I'm going to declare the goodness of Christ so there is a student that is broken and that will stay after school and as a teacher I have an open space that I'm going to declare to them the gospel of Christ now, when you wake up every day, you know, well, I have to serve Jesus. Who has the mindset of, do I have to serve Jesus today? But the reality is that we get up and we say, man, we get to do this today. We all get to give. Can you say that? We all get to give. I want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 12. I'll jump around a little bit. I'm going to start off in verse 4. And in 1 Corinthians 12, listen to the wordage, and then I'm going to jump to 15. I'll read from the NLT and 15 on, just because I love the way I underlined some of these key points. And it says this in verse 4. Let's start off. 1 Corinthians 12, 4. Give me an amen if you're there. If not, if you forgot your Bible, bring it next Sunday. It's okay, but we have it up on the screen. Listen to this. These are the diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. These are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. I stopped there for a moment because I underlined a bunch of words there. There's difference of gifts, differences of ministries. There are differences of activities. Do you see that? What does that show us? Well, everything is not the same. And I truly believe this. Everyone that does one of these things are not the same. For example, we had a worship service right now, and, and they were strumming away and hitting away, whatever where did you want to use for every instrument and singing away? But man, the harm that I would do if I would come up here and grab one of those guitars and I begin to sing a song of worship and lead you guys into worship. The last thing I will lead you into is worship. Okay? You would look at me and say, how sad is this guy? And how sad is this place? If I were to grab a guitar and start to sing, be exalted. Okay, it's just, it's not going to, I'm not even going to hit the tone. I'm not going to hit it. Ali will probably be in the side like, you're doing good. And I'm like, you're lying to me. She's lost to encourage. But the reality is, I have to understand that if I'm gifted in a certain area, I'm not going to fill an area where God never called me to be functioning in or not even gifted in. Though I love to sing. But I know to sing on this platform is not my call. She see me in the shower, right? Come on, shower singers, where are you at? Mm -hmm. But there are different gifts and different ministries and different of activities. And I get this. Why? Because within a church, there are a different group of people within a church. Yes? Some are good at these things. Some are good at those things. We're all not good at the same things. So, so we need different gifts and different ministries and different activities because we're all different people. And God wired us different. And I love that. I love that there's a toe and then there's a thumb, but yet the toe and the thumb, though they might look like they have totally two different things. One's on the foot, one's in the hand. I have an eyeball who sees and I have an ear who ears, a mouth that speaks, a nose that smells. But yet every single one is different, but they're all vital for my body. For my head, they're all vital. I need to see what I'm looking at, so what do I need? Eyes. How weird would it be if a nose replaces the job of an eye? All it would do is smell more. I would see less. 
So I need my eyes to see, my nose to smell, my ears to hear, my mouth to speak, right? I need that. And that's what the body of Christ is. That's what this nest is. That's what we're talking about here. And the reality is that wherever we're good at, whatever we're decent at, whatever we can serve in, man, wow, we get to do this because there are differences in every single one of us and there's different capacities that we could serve God in. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that, bo- of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. That's crazy. Because you're looking around and some of you are like, the last thing I want to be is one body with some of these people in here. Well, I'm telling you that when you go into eternity, we are one body. We are one people. I mean, all this division with colors and, and, and racial war. Man, do we have some news for this world. There, there is no color in heaven. There is no backgrounds in heaven. Everyone is red. Everyone is covered with the blood of Christ. Everyone is in the la- same language. Everyone is a child of God. There, there are no divisions. And the Hispanics over there and the gringos over here and the, and the blacks over here. And the, No, no, no. God's like, welcome all my children. It doesn't matter. There is no division. There is no Presbyterian and there is no Baptist. There is no Pentecostal. There is no non-denominational. There, there is no whatever you want to call it. I mean, in heaven, you're not going to fight whether you're a Calvinist or, 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 or whether you're whatever. Whether you're election or free will, Arminium or Calvinism. You're not going to fight that. God's going to look at you and say, can you just shut up and worship me already? Because there's no time for none of that. I don't care if you're a Pentecostal or you're a Baptist that that it's hard for you to clap in a a church service. In heaven, you're going to just bow your knees and your tongue is going to confess. You're not going to be divided. We are one body for the glory of God. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's why we're not racist. I touched that topic, huh? Hard. That's why we're not none of those things. Well, how come you got, why? I'm going to tell you, I don't even know what color Jesus is, to be honest with you. Because it's bigger than that stuff. We don't have time to divide. We we are children of God, like we sang today. We are many members, say many members. But we are one body. Some of you are taller and some of you are smaller. Some of you cook well and some of you don't even try to cook. I mean, some of you are talented in so many things, and some of you are um, talented in these other things. But wherever you're at in life, we're all many members, but we make up one body. And I hope that you could say, I make up, I am part of the body of Jesus Christ. I really hope that. I really hope that. Verse 14 says, the body is not one member, but it's many members. And let's read 15 all the way down to 25. Just flow with me here. If the foot says I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says I'm not part of the body because I'm not the eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Thank God the whole body's not an eye. If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? I underline this part, but our bodies have many parts. And God has put each, everyone say each, part just where he wants it. Oh, man, that's good. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. You know what strange means there, if you really study that word? In the Greek, it means how unhealthy. 
would it be? How unhealthy would it be if it's just one part? How unhealthy would it be if new life was just one body part? We would, we would die. We would not exist today. Verse 20 says, yes, there are many parts, but there's one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can, cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem, oh man, receive this for you. I received this for me, ready? Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I love verses like that because it makes me feel right. It makes me breathe better like, thank you, God covers me. Because I know I'm weak. I don't think I'm of that much of importance and are actually at times the most necessary. Verse 23 says, and the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, you know. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Verse 25, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. Did you catch that? should underline that. So that all the members what? You know what that means? So that all the members would serve and give for one another. Serve for one another. We get to give. We, we get to give. We, we give because we have. We serve because we can. And when we recognize these verses right here, man, so that all the members can care for one another. How many of you have, and if you haven't, I'm sorry, make it known and we're going to care for you. But how many of you have at one point of your life has gone through something and a, a, a member of the body has reached out to you and just care for you? I'm not talking about me. Or I'm not talking about my wife, or I'm not talking about the person that's sitting next to you. You know you want them to touch you and just reach out to you and love you. But I'm talking about there's someone from the body that has reached you in a time of dire need. How many of you can say that's happened to me? Guys, look around. Just seriously, look around. That's powerful. That's powerful. I, I didn't ask if, even if it was this body, just part of the body. What happens there is all members are to care for each other, give to each other, serve to each other. We, we all get to give. Can you believe that for yourself? We all get to give. I know this passage, as I just read this, is focusing on unity. I get that, what Paul is doing to the church of Corinth there, speaking to them. But it's obvious to see that Paul is writing to the church and making them aware that all parts of the body play a special role. Did you guys see that? Each one plays a special role. Each member functions differently, giving where someone else may not be able to give. For example, the ear, the ear gives, right, the ability to hear where the nose can't. So the ear needs the nose to smell. For then the mouth could say, I smell. And the ear could hear. I mean, think about how it all works in unison. Each one needs one another where the other one might not be able to fill. All of us are a special role. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if you haven't, I want you to think about this question. You can write down this question. How is the Lord moving me to serve? How is the Lord moving me to give? Maybe you've been praying for a massive revelation from God that I'm not going to give of my finances until God reveals it to me. Well, 
Keep praying. Well, I'm not going to have a massive revelation to serve unless God reveals it to me. Well, keep praying. Some things, you don't need a massive audible revelation. Some things are already revealed to you through the word of God. And definitely the word of God has defined for us that we are called to serve and we are called to give. There is no and, if, or buts about that. So write that question. How is the Lord moving me? How is he moving? No, it's the Lord, not me. Not, not them, not the church, because I would hate for that to happen. But, but how is the Holy Spirit working in you to show you where you're called to serve and where you're called to truly give? And, 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 and you might be sitting there like, are you talking about giving like a tent? Uh, notice that I'm not even mentioning tithes. Because, because really, I'm just saying, what are you called to give? In reality, that is Old Testament tithing over an other law, which we now belong under a greater law. So I don't even think, oh man, I have a f- strong belief in this thing. That I think under greater law, there's even greater giving. So I'm not even going to mention 10, but I'm not going to tell you there's a 20 or 30 or 40. I'm not even going to do that and play that role. And I'm not going to go to a verse and go to the, because I could go to Psalm 119 verse 13 and say, you need to tithe $119 huh, and 13 cents today. Huh? But, and I'm not going to do that either. Okay? I'm not going to go to the biggest verse and tell you to tithe that to folks. You want a special blessing. Huh? Tithe me $119 today and drop it on the altar. I'm not going to do that. But the Lord is going to move in you. The Lord is going to move in you and say, I'm not limited to just a 10 when God's given me so much. When I could give so much more for the glory of God. Do you guys get what I'm saying? But I'm going to keep on going for a moment. I'm going to keep on going. In ministry, I've, I've heard this so much. I've heard it myself and I've heard other pastors, other leaders speak about this. And they all repeat the same thing. You know, people sometimes ask, forget ask. Sometimes it goes from asking and it becomes a complain. Sometimes it leaves, it, it, it goes from asking to complaining, and then it goes from that person just leaving the church, voicing that the church doesn't have. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been in ministry for 15 years, and, and I've seen this, and I've heard other pastors go through this. People ask, sometimes people, it turns into complaints, sometimes it causes people to leave, voicing, oh, well, the church doesn't have. But a great way that all church communities can solve this is by each member which call their church home if they ask themselves this question. Here is the answer to solve the problem. Ready? How can I serve? How can I give? Is God calling me to fill a void that my church has? That should, right there, you should have had some amens. Because if I recognize that my church has a void and I'm going to present it, God, did you reveal that void to me? Are you calling me to start something up? Are you calling me to fill that void? And that's the reality of, of churches everywhere. There's always work to do for the kingdom of God. How many of you could say amen? I bolded this, and, and that means it's very important to me as a note, if you want to write this down, but I wrote this down already. Each member individually giving and serving can make the difference. It could be the difference in making a good church a great church. I'll say it again. Each member individually giving and serving can be the difference in making a good church a great church. We are one body with many members. We each fill empty spaces. Empty spaces. And, and the beauty behind this is there's empty spaces where we know it's empty because others cannot fill it. We give and we serve not because we have to, but because we get to. We get to give. And we're here and we're continuing to be here. And we're going to continue to be here because there's the people that come every single time and they continue to give. 
I wrote this down as well, and, and just listen to this. What we have is because of our faithfulness. Amen? But more importantly, it's because of our obedience. You know, we, we revamped some things. We brought some things to present it to your eyes in the last month or so. You should give your hand, if yourself a hand if you give to this place because you were part of the work, the new life, the change, the new life is taking. You are part of it. And you could give God some praise for that if you give to this house. You know, the only, able we are ab the only reason why we're able to do what we do here is because you get to give. Can you say amen to that? Why do we give? Well, because I, I live in obedience. Our obedience is to give. We get to give. Giving is biblical. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Ready? Here's my teaching on this. And I'm not going to sit on it because this is not a teaching on tithing or offering. I'm going to go deeper into all these things. I believe that God led me to teach on heart issues today and teach on motives and um, teach on attitudes rather than, well, this is biblically what a tithe is and this is biblically what an offering is. I'm going to go deeper than all that. I'm going to talk about attitudes and, and, and all that stuff. So listen to this. Giving is biblical. Tithing is biblical. Offerings are biblical. Can we all come in agreement with that? If not, I would love to sit with you and teach you how all those things are true. And it all goes back, it dates back to the Old Testament. Old Testament. Abraham gave a tithe. Did you guys know that? Abraham gave a tithe. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews talks about Abraham giving a tenth of everything. So even the New Testament talks about the Old Testament saints that they used to give a tenth. They used to surrender that to the Lord. It belonged to the Lord. It was all his. But now what I love, and here it is, right? Here's my belief on this. In the New Testament, catch this, the Lord doesn't really drill his followers for tithing. You know how many meetings I've been in and people are like, well, you know what? In the New Testament, it never really mentions the tithe. It only mentions be a cheerful giver. <laughs> I've heard that so many times. And you're right, actually, if you said that. But do you know the reason behind that, actually? Have you ever studied the whole word of God and why Jesus does not teach on that? Instead, he teaches on other things. In the New Testament, never does he drill his followers in tithing. As a matter of fact... In Judaism, this was already the custom. Who was Jesus speaking to? To a bunch of people that already functioned under this call of tithing. So he didn't have to teach them. They've learned this from generation, from generation, unto generation. From the days of Abraham to the days of Jesus, it was custom for the Jewish people to tithe. So when Jesus steps into the scene, it was part of the everyday living to, to give a tenth. So Jesus didn't need to make it a priority in one of his teaching sermons he never had to do that. But you know what Jesus does? Everyone say what? Here it is. Ready? He teaches them instead of the rules of tithing, if you want to call it that, watch what he does. He teaches them about the errors behind their motives and their attitudes in their tithes and offering. Now that's good. Because Jesus comes into the scene. He's like, I'm not going to break down what a tithe is and what an offering is. You guys know that because your, your great, 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 great grandfathers have always taught you that. So what I am going to do is I'm going to do life with you and I'm going to reveal what's wrong with your motives and your attitudes and how you give. Because you're doing a good job in giving, but it doesn't mean that you're doing it right and you're honoring God with your giving. Oh, man. Have you, have you ever brought forth a worship to the Lord, but the Lord is like, I didn't feel not one drip of that worship because the heart wasn't right. You've raised your hand and you've raised your hand for other reasons than surrenderance. You've cried out to God. You've cried out to God for... No other reason but because I'm hungry and thirsting for righteousness. You gave and you gave money because it was for no other reason but because I'm, I'm going to glorify the Lord even with this. So the Lord has to reveal that to his Jewish followers. I'm going to give you a perfect example how I know that this is true. One of many actually. It's found in the book of Mark chapter 12. It's going to be good today. In verses 41 through 44, he's with his followers. 
And as he's with his followers, guess where he's at? He's in the house of God, the temple. And guess where he's at in the temple? He's where the treasury box is. He's where the people are giving. Now, we'll flow with me here in 41. It says, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple. And he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. I love that Jesus watches what we give as well. He's watching people give tithe. He's watching people drop money and offerings. Look what it says next. Many rich people put in large amounts. You could just imagine what that looks like. 42, 42 says, then a poor widow came. And she dropped in two small coins, less than two pennies it was worth in today's currency in the United States. Less than two pennies worth. People are writing checks for thousands and millions of dollars. And a lady comes with less than two pennies. And Jesus looks at his followers and what he tells them is amazing. Look what he says. I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Now, if stop for a moment, don't keep reading. Look at me for a second. If you were there, how would you, what would you say to Jesus? You're crazy. I saw homeboy just drop a million dollar check. She just dropped two pennies. There's no way she gave more. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus was not looking at the rules of tithing. Jesus was looking at the worship of the heart in tithing. He was looking at, oh, you got the rules of giving so you dropped a million. No, he says, your attitude and your heart was right and I was honored with your penny more than I was with the one million. Man, that is deep. So when, when he was there with the disciples, like that woman gave more than that rich man. How can that be? How can that be? How can, how can that be? I'll explain to you why. For they gave, verse 44, a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has to live on. Another translation says she has given her all, her whole livelihood. Man, that's how we wake up in the morning. How are you going to give yourself to Jesus? Oh, I'm just going to... I'm just. I'm just going to give for my surplus. Or are you going to wake up in the morning and look at yourself in the mirror and get dressed that day and say, I'm going to give Jesus my all. I'm going to give him everything that's in my account. I'm going to give him everything of my energy. I'm going to surrender it all to him. I'm going to serve him today with my fullest. Everything that is me is going to glorify Jesus today. Do you wake up like that in the mornings? Is that how you live your life? Well, you know, you're kind of radical. No, no, let's get biblical. Are we going to the treasury box Physically, yes, in tithing, but, but more than that, with all of your being. And are you truly surrendering your all, your livelihood for the glory of Jesus? How many of you has Jesus made uncomfortable in serving him? If you can't raise your hand, I, I'm thinking it's because you haven't given all your livelihood yet. <laughs> you want God to use you? How many of you really want God to use you? Get ready to get uncomfortable. Get ready to get stretched. And that's the beauty behind serving the Lord. There's a beauty behind that. And I see this, Mark chapter 12, 41 through 44. I see this, man, and, and I get this, that the majority of people that struggle with giving, whether it's tithe or offering, it's not necessarily because they don't have, but it's because there's a problem in their heart. It may be that we struggle to give, not because it's a money problem, but it's more of a heart problem. I'm not saying this is for every single person, but for many and with that heart problem comes bad attitudes and wrong motives and wrong examples. Maybe that you lived out before you. You probably went to a, a, a different community of people that, that they did erroneous things with the giving of the church. 
forgive the good churches for that example if you went through that. But, but the truth is we must make our heart right with this issue. I love what Billy Graham says, and I'm gonna, we're going to put the quote up. Look what Billy Graham says. I love this. It says this. If a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it'll help him straighten out almost every other area in his life. If you've ever gone through this personally, you know that this has meant something to you. You know that this has meant something to you. And what a person, Billy Graham, to be able to say this. I, I want to jump into the motives now of our giving and of our serving the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6, 7, and 8, it says this. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Verse 7, but you must each decide in your heart. Say, decide in my heart. I feel like I'm losing some of you. Ready? They must decide in our hearts how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That's what I was talking about earlier. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need, not everything you want. That's totally different. To totally different. Man, God, just give me the boat. No, no. Not everything you want. Everything you need. You're alive today because you've get, been given everything you need. I need bread today, and bread was given to you to eat. I need water today, and water was given to you to drink. I'm not telling that you ate any filet mignon, but man, at least you had a good piece of bread with butter. He's given you everything you need. And I love this. When Paul says, decide in your heart. And then he says, for God loves a cheerful person, gives generously, provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. But decide in your heart. You see, why would Paul say decide in your heart? I believe this because the heart can easily, easily, easily shift to evil. Any amens to that? My heart could easily, I'm going to talk just about me, could easily shift to self-seeking desires. Me. My heart. So how can I decide on any godly giving? Listen to this. And any godly serving if my heart's intentions are not right. I can never decide to give if my heart is not right. Paul goes on to say, do not give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I believe that without the Holy Spirit dealing in our hearts, then we will fall into religious giving in all areas of our lives. And what that looks like is exactly what Paul defines. It's, it's giving in response to pressure. They say I should give, so I give. They I see people give, so I give. I see people go, so I go, etc., etc. You can fill in the blanks. But I'm, I'm just erasing whatever you've been taught and, and stretching the word of God in your mind and in your heart. And, and I want you to believe this, that we get to give. That God sees the pure motives, the proper attitudes. I love this verse in verse 7. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you get that? Not tenthfully, but cheerfully. God looks at the what? The motive and the attitude. I, I love what one pastor says. He said this, the basic question is not how much of our money we should give to God, but how much of God's money we should keep for ourselves. And that's the reality of all of our being. And all, all of our giving, whether it's money or whether it's all of our lives. This life, listen, I don't have it. I don't know when it's going to perish. I'm not in control of that. The Bible says that he is the what? The author. He's the beginning and the end. He is the one who writes my life. He is the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of my faith. And if he's given me this life, 
How much of my life am I going to give back to him? It belongs to his. How much of his life do I give back to him? He breathed life into my soul. My mom and my dad were not able to do that. They were not able to do that. They were responsible for one part. God was responsible for the rest. That's the truth. So now, here I am. What do I do with the life that God's given me? I love Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. I read a proverb every day. I encourage you to do that. There's enough for every day of the month. He says, there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right. But it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich. The generous soul. And he who waters will also be watered himself. I love how the NLT says it. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. And those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. How many of you could say we get to give? I don't have to give. But God's given me the opportunity with all of my heart, with my right motives, with my right attitude. He's allowing me to give. And I get to do this for his glory. Amen, church? Can you say this with me? We all get to serve. So what's the motive behind your service? What's the attitude behind your service? The attitude behind you serving the Lord. I want to read four verses to you in Matthew chapter 6. And it says this. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, watch out. Anytime someone says, watch out, you know, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Man, I could just, let's close up in prayer. Lord. <laughs> Verse 2. Let's, why not? Let's keep going. When you give to someone in need, don't do as hypocrites do. They blow their trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. But I tell you the truth. They have their... They have received all, everyone say all. Yeah, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. I would hate to be that person. Verse 3, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. You give your gifts in private. And your father who sees everything, he rewards you. He will reward you. Verse 4 in the New King James says that your charitable deed may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly in public. I love that I, that I serve a, a God who's not just in the public realm, but there's a God who knows me in the secret. That when I'm so upset at my wife and there are words in my brain that I would not even, sh- I would be ashamed to utter. Come on, don't act like you're so religious that, you, that you've never gone to that. That I would be ashamed to even utter out of my, my lips. That God says you don't have to utter them publicly because I see what's already done in secret. Hmm. So when we serve each other and when we serve the Lord, and we read these verses, I see what God's doing. He's revealing wrongful service. The motive and attitude 
in these passages right here in Matthew 6, in this passage, is both wrong. Let's go back and visit verse 1. It says this, don't go doing good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Well, we know that their attitude is wrong because they want to be admired by, by others, to be seen by others. I wrote this down. Public acts of obedience are valuable and honorable. So amen if that's you and, and you've done that in life. Man, that's honorable and valuable. Praise God for that. But if they are done merely for the sake of public recognition, this is what's being revealed here. There will be no reward from God because it's not for the glory of God. Did you guys catch that? Verse 2 says what? They have received all the reward they will ever get. Did you, did you see that? See, when we serve the Lord, when we serve each other, I know we all want to be recognized just for a little bit. Man, shoot, I do. I like that too. But the reality is, how does our service and our giving, how does it remain pure? How? Well, here it is. When we do what we do, not to be recognized or rewarded here on earth. When we do what we do, to be rewarded when we see God and he says, welcome, good and faithful servant. I really hope you're getting this. This is what our church stands on. Verse 2 tells us that that's all the reward they will ever get, these, these, these individuals that do it for the public. That's all the reward that they will ever get. So let's check the attitude behind. Let's check the attitude behind my doing and my giving. I want my works here on earth, and I pray that you would want your works here on earth not to fall void, filled with early earthly recognition, with no eternal purposes or rewards, but instead that we will want it to have the power and the ability to reach eternity. That's beyond our ability. Let me ask you a question. What can you possibly do here right now that reaches eternity? You don't have the ability to do that. Nothing that we're able to do. But when it's the work of Christ, for the glory of Christ, those things reach beyond what our physical and carnal hands and minds are able to reach. And that belongs to the Lord to do that. All I can say and all I could do is I could, I could just make my, my, a name for myself here on earth and make my own kingdom here on earth. But it's Christ. He is the one who gives a name for me that speaks on in all of eternity. How many of you could agree to that and say Man, praise God. And I would hate one day to stand before God like those individuals. Lord, Lord, I casted out demons in your name. I did all these wonderful works. I did this, 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 and that. All for you, Jesus. All for you. And Jesus looks at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You did things on earth, but I saw the motive behind it. It wasn't for me. I never knew you. What's behind? What's the attitude behind we get to give? In Mark chapter 10, I've preached this so many times. And as soon as I'm done sharing these verses, we'll wrap it up. But in Mark chapter 10, verses 35, the two um, dis disciples that come to Jesus in secret. Let's, let's read it just for the sake of reading it to re so we can remember. It says this, ready? Mark 10, 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said, grant us that we may sit, one at your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Verse 38, you with me? Hey, you guys are with me? Yes. Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, 
You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Verse 39. So they said, yes, we are. We're able. And Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized, you will be baptized. Verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give you, but it's for those for whom it is prepared. Everyone there? I see this passage a little bit different today. I see it a whole lot differently, actually. Because here's James and John, these two disciples, two brothers coming up to Jesus. And what they're wishing for is a reward in eternity. But how can they ever wish for a reward in eternity if they haven't served and given for a greater glory here on earth? James and John, I see what you're asking for. But what have you given of yourself yet? I see you want an eternal reward, but how have you given of yourself for the glory that is greater than yourself? For a different glory. James and John, your, your serving and giving is not for self-recognition. Look what Jesus tells them. Are you able to drink the what? The cup that what? I drink. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? James, John, are you able to drink the cup I drink? James, John, the baptism that I am baptized with. What is Jesus really telling these two brothers? Here it is, ready? James and John. In reality, this is about my cup. This is about my baptism, not yours. Will you drink a cup given to you, though you may not like how it tastes, you may not like its sourness, will you still drink it also that I may have the glory? Let me ask you that question. Will you drink my cup? John, James, will you, will you be able to enter a baptism? Listen to this. Not one of pleasure for self, but of suffering and death all for my glory. Are you sure, James, John? Will you be able to take in my baptism? Notice what Jesus points back to. James and John, like, can we have a special role in eternity? And Jesus says what? Can you drink from my cup here on earth? Can I sit at your right and your left in the glory? Can you be baptized with my baptism while you're here on earth? Because it's not what everyone else is drinking. And it's not the baptism that everyone else is taking in. It's one that's, well, we spoke about it last week, not normal. And I truly believe this push for our church that, that God say, new life, your service and our giving it's for his cup. It's for his baptism. So it changes our mind. Not that I have to give, but I get what I do, so I get to give for the Lord. So that when we do what we do, we drink from the cup of God. We, we, we take in the baptism of God. Now, what does that mean? That whatever is before us on that certain day, it's for one purpose. Here it is. Ready? So that God may be glorified, not that I may be glorified. I love that when John the Baptist is at the prime of his life, at the prime of his ministry, when billboards were going up, when, man, P.O. boxes was getting filled with checks. I mean, he was famous and he was known. I know this because Roman officials were going and sneaking up on him in the wilderness. He was famous. And they said, there he is. Jesus of Nazareth is baptizing more people than you. He doesn't stand up with pride. He doesn't stand up with bad motives. He doesn't stand up with his own agenda and self-seeking desires. Instead, he says what? Oh, this is great news. He, he must increase so that I may decrease. John the Baptist got it. It's his cup. It's his baptism. It's never for my glory. It's 
for the glory of his. And I get to do this for his glory. We get to give. We get to do this. We get to. And John the Baptist was beheaded with a smile because he got to do it. And Peter was hung upside down. And historians say that he was singing praises to the cross. How long he awaited the cross that his precious Savior died on. Who am I to die a death like thee? And they crucified him upside down. Don't put me right side up like Jesus. I'm not worthy. Put me upside down. Because he was never drinking his own cup. He was never soaked up into his own baptism. He was drinking a greater cup. He was being baptized under a different baptism. Everything that Peter and every disciple and John the Baptist and all these people that we hear about, the reason why they ended up taking that punishment with such joy, which is so weird, it's because they didn't have to give. Man, they lived a life that they got to give. They were able to serve the Lord, and they did it with a joyful heart. I love what Calvin Coolidge says. He says this, no person was ever honored for what he received, but he was honored for what he gave. When someone wins a Nobel Peace Prize, it's because of what they've given that they're rewarded. And that's how it's going to be in eternity. I've given you my life because you've given me all of your life. I end with this passage. And in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10 through 12, listen to this. He says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor. Of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Man, if, if you can read chapter 6 of Hebrews, notice what the author is saying. God's not unjust. He doesn't forget what you've done, your labor of love, the things you've done for his name. His, whose name? Because you drank his cup. You drank his cup. That you've ministered to the saints, your brothers and sisters, and you still minister. He's not going to forget those things in eternity. And then the author says, we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Keep, keep, keep pushing to the end. Keep giving to the end. Man, verse 12 says, you will not become sluggish. You will not become lazy. But that you would imitate those who through faith and through patience inherited the promises of God. How many of you could say amen? I guess I'll share one last quote with you. I think it's special just to close with this one. It says this, it is possible to give without loving. 
but it is impossible to love without giving. Why do I think that's an amazing quote to end? Because if we get to say we get to give and we get to serve, then, then the reality is if you're saying I love God, then your love brings forth a giving of self to Him. In our church here, we believe that we get to give. Every single person here that's involved, that's not involved, that this is your home, I want us to have this mindset that we get to give. Not obligated, but that you have the attitude that your heart, the condition is proper and that you can say, man, I get to do this. That whatever it is that I do, I'm drinking this cup. Wherever it is that I go, I'm taking in his baptism. This is not for my life. This is not for our life. This is for his glory. We cannot get so caught up with earthly rewards. Because I promise you this, church, that if you live with the mindset of we get to give, there's going to be a day where you stand before God and there is an eternal reward that you will be able to breathe in and say, it was all worth it. It was all worth it. How many of you, rhetorical, you don't have to answer, have been drinking from his cup and you've been thinking lately to put down that cup and to live for yourself? Don't do it. For what? For public rewards? For earthly recognition? Hold on to the cup. Drink the cup of Christ. Keep going in diligence and patience. Because though you might not see the reward today, the Bible teaches us that there is a reward in eternity. Well, when is it going to happen? Remember the fire last week? The fire last week? When is it going to happen? It's okay. Keep going. Keep having that mindset of I get to do this. Because, man, I'm going to stand before God one day. And I'm going to receive. Receive. All that was meant for me to receive. Heaven and earth will pass away. It's rewards, it's trophies, it's cups will pass away. He remains forever. His word and his rewards, it remains forever. Drink your cup, the one that belongs to God, the one that's of Christ. And surrender the cup that belongs to you. Drink the cup of Christ. James, John. You're able to drink the cup that I drink? You're able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Sure we are. You sure are. Study the life of James. Study the life of John. They both drank his cup for the rest of their life. They both took on his baptism. Last week, we shared this. They entered into eternity one day. 
the Lord looked at them and says, sons, welcome home, good, faithful servants. Come here, let me show you what I'm building. And the foundations of eternity's walls had their names on it. How come my name is stitched on the walls of eternity? James, John, because remember that day you wanted to be great? You were faithful, you were obedient. You saw the bigger picture. You didn't have to, but you, you got to give the rest of your, all of your life. And here's your reward in eternity. And every day you walk by these halls, and every day you walk by these walls, and, and you see these pillars, you're going to see your name on it. Like, I can't. off. Give God some praise. He deserves it. He deserves it. He's worthy. Love you, Jesus. Hey, pray with me, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord God, that we get to serve you. Now when service ends, we don't go back and we don't live in sin or become and walk in heathen ways but but we get to serve you even when church ends we get to give even when church ends that we give because we have Lord that we serve because we can and what an honor it is that you first displayed that for me you are the greatest giver that's the truth and I long just to, to give back what belongs to you anyways which is all of me I pray that you would bless this church going forward that the mindset of giving in their in their monies and in their service and in every aspect of their being will never be the same again that they would have a different mindset a different heart that they would always drink from your cup that it would always be for your glory that they would recognize this, that they get to do this that we get to do this that it would change the way we do everything from this day forward and how we do it. So Lord, we just want to spend some time in worship for a few minutes. And we just want to say, Lord, we give ourselves away. Here I am. Deal with me as we get ready just to leave and spend time with each other and with our families. Come on, if this message was for you, just surrender it. Be that poor widow that just gives her two little pennies. That's all you have. Give it all. Give all your abundance right now. All of your being. Give it to me. Right there in worship. Surrender it. Surrender it to your God. Let's worship Him for a few minutes. Give myself away. 